The gospel lesson for this morning comes from the gospel of Matthew, the 16th chapter, verses 13 through 20. So listen now for the word of the Lord. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah and one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Having spent enough years in youth and young adult ministry, I have a wide variety of the dreaded icebreakers in my back pocket. You know, those gathering questions that you use to help an unfamiliar group get to know one another. Whether it's the simple name your favorite ice cream, or introduce yourself with an animal that starts with the same letter as your first name, or more advanced games like trivia with flying snack cakes that our youth play with regularity. These games accomplish exactly their stated purpose, breaking the ice with the people with whom you have gathered. I have spent a burdensome part of my life being kangaroo Katie or koala Katie, and if I'm being honest, I absolutely loathe icebreakers. But there is something important and perhaps essential about being known. While the purpose of these games is good, they are designed to do exactly what they say, to break the ice. And like an iceberg, what you see on the surface, or at first encounter with an individual, is just the very tip of the complex stories and relationships that make us who we are. Our identities are multi-dimensional and multi-layered. The way we introduce ourselves to our colleagues is different than the way we introduce ourselves among friends and still different from the way we act around family. As a campus minister, I used to have students unpack our multifaceted identity with a game called, Who Are You? So I've asked Emma to play with me. She's going to ask me, who are you? And I'm going to reply in as many different ways as I can think of until I can't think of anything else. And then I'll respond, I'm a beloved child of God. And then we'll switch. Pastor Katie, who are you? I am a daughter. Okay. Who are you? I am 
sister. Who are you? I am a partner. Who are you? I am a mom. Who are you? I am an American. Who are you? I am a woman. Who are you? I am white. Who are you? I am a cisgender heterosexual. Who are you? I am hopeful. Who are you? I am a lover of chocolate. Who are you? I'm a coffee drinker. Who are you? I am a millennial. Who are you? I am a runner turned walker. <laughs> Who are you? I am a friend. Who are you? I'm a perfectionist. Who are you? I'm really impatient. <laughs> Who are you? I am a Kansan. Who are you? I am a Duke fan. Who are you? I am a beloved child of God. Pastor Emma, who are you? I am a human. Who are you? I am a sister. Who are you? I am a daughter. Who are you? I am an aunt. Who are you? I am a proud Pittsburgher. Who are you? I am a Gryffindor. Who are you? I am a lover of books. Who are you? I am a history buff. Who are you? I am a dog mom. Who are you? I am a pastor. Who are you? I am a friend. Who are you? I am a Presbyterian. Who are you? I am an amateur baker. Who are you? I am a beloved child of God. Thanks, Pastor Emma. The point of this game is to recognize that our identities as individuals, the way we see ourselves and the way others see us, is not a simple question with a fixed response. We've spent six weeks now thinking about relationships, relationships with God and family and friends and church and our city and our bodies. But when it comes to thinking about our relationship with ourselves, our identities as individuals, the challenge comes when we realize that we morph our identities depending on our context and how we want people to see us in a given space. There is a Hasidic Jewish story about a rabbi's son who used to wander in the woods. The rabbi asked his son, I wonder why you walk in the woods each day. And the boy replied, I go there to find God. That's very good, son, he said. But don't you know that God is the same everywhere? Yes, the boy answered, but I'm not. Jesus seemed to understand the complexity of this question of perceived identity better than most of us. He's gathered with his disciples in today's text, and he asks them, who do people say that I am? And they say, some the Baptist, some Elijah, some Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. It seems that everyone is trying to figure out not just who Jesus is, but who Jesus is for them and to them. Jesus is, after all, kind of a big deal. 
No matter who you are, where in the world you live, where in history you encountered the story, whether you identify as Christian or not, you probably have an answer or perhaps multiple answers to that question. Who do people say that I am? King of the Jews? Healer? Rabbi and teacher? Lord? Brother? Revolutionary? Friend of the poor? Savior of the world? Prince of peace? The way, the truth, and the life? A Palestinian Jew? Son of God? A prophet? The Word? The light of the world? The bread of life? Theologians have spent hundreds of years and volumes of books unpacking this question, who do people say that Jesus is? Jesus is very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, we confess in the Nicene Creed. Jesus is Messiah, the anointed one made known as prophet, priest, and king, we learn from the Reformed Fathers like John Calvin. Jesus is both the Lord who becomes servant of all and the servant who becomes Lord of all, writes contemporary theologian Karl Barth. Who do people say that I am, Jesus asks. Jesus was aware that everyone around him was trying to define who he was and determine, based on how they answered that question, whether he should be trusted, followed, worshipped, embraced. Historically, getting the answer right determined whether you were chosen among the faithful or a heretic to be cast to the outer darkness. But I don't believe that Jesus asked the question, who do people say that I am, in an effort to live up to or into others' expectations, or even to offer a judgment-casting theological te test of orthodoxy. Because Jesus didn't ask just anyone. He asked his disciples, his friends, his closest confidants with whom he could be vulnerable and real. And he didn't ask that question in isolation. He also asked, but who do you say that I am? Jesus seemed to understand that however inevitable these external labels might be, and whatever risk comes with them, what mattered in the midst of his ministry was not what others thought about him, but how he was living authentically in his own identity and his own skin as God's beloved son. Jesus knew the answer to this question uniquely in his own soul. For all the labels that the world put on him, the one that mattered the one that guided his entire life and his relationship to God and others was the one that he embraced when he came up out of the waters of the River Jordan and the clouds opened and the Spirit descended like a dove 
and he heard a voice saying, You are my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. The scandal of particularity of the gospel is that while God works in huge, creative, wide, and mysterious ways, we also worship a God who cares about each of us individually, who sent his son down to be a particular individual in a particular time and place to teach us and claim us and save us from ourselves and all the other messy claims that the world tries to put on us. And he did that by living fully and completely in his own skin as God's beloved, even to the point of death. And because he was so clear about his self-identity in God, his teaching and his preaching, his healing and forgiving, even his death and resurrection made clear that the way God loved his son Jesus is the way God knows and loves each of us in all of our individuality, in all of our uniqueness, because each of us was also made in the image of God. And as a result, we too are beloved. Jesus asks his disciples, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, sweet Peter, says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus' reply comes in the form of a blessing. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. This blessing comes not because Peter is particularly smart or better than anyone else, but reflects that Peter is able to see past the labels and mislabels of others to Jesus' true self as God's beloved, God's anointed, God's son. Anna Carter Florence, preaching professor at Columbia Seminary, notes that Peter is right because he sets aside what people say and listens to what is unfolding in his own soul. And because he can see Jesus as God's beloved son, he is able to strive to live into that space where he can embrace his own identity as a beloved child of God, called to make Christ's kingdom of heaven visible on earth. The challenge for Peter and for all of us is living authentically into that blessing. The challenge is to set aside all of the ways that we are defined by others and all of the ways that we see ourselves that hinder our ability to fully embrace who we were created to be as beloved children of God. There's a photographer named Steve Rosenfield who has curated a documentary exhibit called The What I Be Project. About a decade ago, he was working as a network administrator at a big computer company in Boston, Massachusetts. 
he writes, I was very opinionated and materialistic person with a huge ego. And I thought that being successful meant having a nine to five and making a ton of money. I never shared my feelings or insecurities because I was scared of how I would look to others. I never opened up. And that created a lack in my relationships where people were scared to open up to me because they saw me as blunt, he writes. After quitting his job and doing a lot of soul searching, he was determined to live more authentically and to help others embrace their own true selves by putting their vulnerabilities out in the open so that they could be set free from those claims of how other people define them. He invites his subjects to draw on their body some claim, internal or external, that has been placed upon them that is not true, and to have their picture taken. Then they get to make a claim about who they are as authentic individuals in light of what they are not. Participants range from high school students to the Ivy League masses to some well-known names in entertainment history. Subjects put their insecurities out in the open and expose a side of themselves that no one has seen before. By stating, I am not my fill-in-the-blank label, they are claiming that they do in fact struggle with these issues but that it doesn't get to define who they are as a person. They're not denying their insecurity, they're owning it. I'd like you to see a few of his subjects and reflect upon what you might put if you were asked to participate. I am not my profession. I am not my skin. I am not my illness. I am not my reputation. I am not my queerness. I am not my disappointments. I am not my cane. By sharing the things that have held them captive, the things that others have used to define them, they're able to be set free from the claims that the world or they put on themselves. This letting go opens them up to experience God's grace, to see themselves as beloved, to live in response to that blessing. Most of us don't regularly engage in such a vulnerable act as taking marker to our bodies, but we do embody these claims about our identity in our own sacramental life within the church. When we talk about sacraments as Presbyterians, we call them outward signs of an invisible grace. Tactile things that we do with God's creative elements like water 
in order to make visible God's claim of belovedness that is invisible but is nevertheless true. At baptism, the sign of the cross is put on an individual's forehead, and we affirm you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked as Christ's own forever. This claim of God's love is placed freely on our lives, not because we deserve it, or because, but because simply that is how God sees us, as beloved. When we pass through the waters, we're symbolizing that our old life and all the damaging labels that we carry with it is gone. And the new life in Christ is the claim upon our lives, the identity marker that helps us to know who we are and whose we are. And it is an act of God's pure love. Jesus begins, who do people say that I am? But the real question, the authentic question, the question we stand before God and ask comes next. Who do you say that I am? And just as God said to his own beloved Jesus, God joyfully replies to each of us, you are my beloved child, with whom I am well pleased. May you dare to live trusting that this blessing is true and that it is for you. Amen.